News flat hides Jan Arden. <laughs> this is the Jan Arden Presidential Podcast coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, and Toronto, Ontario. We are doing well, folks. Right now, for us, it's Friday. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. It's Friday. You're going to be listening to this on a Saturday. Uh, so welcome to Saturday. I wish I was actually in Saturday to be able to say with conviction that Biden perhaps won. Um, but right now it's still on the edge and we've all been glued to our television since Tuesday. And uh, anyway, I think all the news agencies are loving this stuff, guys. What do you think? It's like this is the longest election coverage they've been able to do. Everyone's jobs are secure. I think it's the 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 actual networks, I think, love it. And I imagine that now at this point, the anchors themselves are like the Energizer bunny just slowly melting. Yeah, they're they're exhausted. It looked like Don Lemon at points from was like falling asleep. I don't know how anyone's keeping track of the numbers, like the number crunching they have to do while still speaking knowledgeably to the issues and and the ever-changing comments and then Trump's wild speech that he had on Thursday that most of the networks just simply cut away from, which was a first. And I think a lot of people were kind of waiting for that moment. So I don't know how they're doing it. And it's funny that, you know, what has happened as a result of people watching so much news, they've developed huge crushes on the anchors. Did you guys see that Chris Cuomo (laughs) was trending? He was no, he's been trending all week because people are watching the news so much that they're like, getting heart eyes for everyone who they spend so much time watching. And Chris Cuomo um, is apparently the heartthrob of the, of the, at least the U S right now, people just find him very handsome. And it all kind of started with his brother back in the spring with the start of the pandemic. Cause everyone was watching his brother, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York so often on his press conferences and they liked his stance and they liked his reassurance. And so they started calling themselves Cuomo sexuals. And now Chris oh. Cuomo has has become the newest round of Cuomo sexual and uh, or I guess like his homosexual desire. And it's so funny <laughs> to see. Oh, my God. Like we needed to add one more sexual preference to <laughs> the gauntlet out there. It's been it's been an interesting time. But, you know, there's no surprises here. No surprises at all. Everybody knew exactly what was going to happen. And in fact, Trump. um was throwing those seeds of doubt out before him months and months ago. Cause I'm sure his people were saying, listen, this is going to be really a close race perhaps. Um, and you could probably even lose. So they prepared for every outcome. And uh, he was, he, he was already talking about the fraudulent mail-in votes that he thought it was bogus. And he put doubt in, he cast a lot of doubt in the minds of certainly his fan base, if that's what you call, uh, if that's what you even call, I mean, that seems weird to call citizens a fan base because it mm-hmm. conjures up to me um, the idea that people are fanatical about somebody, not because mm-hmm. of their policies or their beliefs, but just because of who they are. So mm-hmm. we saw this coming, right? What I didn't see coming were the blue flips from certain States, mind you, by, incredibly close margins uh, when it comes to the electoral votes, far from a close margin of the popular vote, Biden now surpasses uh, President Obama, former President Obama as the most, uh, garnering the most votes 
um, for a presidential candidate, which was a record previously held by Obama from the 2008 election. So yeah. the popular vote and the electoral vote, two very different things. It'd be great if the popular vote mattered, <laughs> but anyways. Yeah. But I was surprised by seeing the flip of Wisconsin and Michigan and at, at current broadcast time, the very close race and now lead that Biden has in Pennsylvania and Georgia. Georgia is a state that has been uh, as red as they go uh, since 1992. Yeah. So that's a big, those, those to me were surprises. Georgia's is a few thousand votes right now ahead for mm -hmm. Vice President Biden. And um, so it, it's been kind of scary to watch, but I guess that really doesn't even matter the way they're configuring the leads in other states. It looks like Biden is going to win. Friggin' um, Nevada. Can they not wake up? What's going on? <laughs> well, I, everyone's, there's so many funny memes coming out of Nevada yeah, of, of sloths doing the counting. <laughs> and uh, I just think they've been overwhelmed and, and the, uh, the, the people that are running the election down there, the people at the counties are just saying, look, this is really different for us. We've never had, mail-in ballots we've never had you know to accept them till five o'clock today they have to accept the ballots so there's still stuff coming in in all the states friday at five o'clock uh, is the cutoff time for i think it's some of the military uh if your if your ballot was postmarked at a certain time i mean there's so many things that are lending itself to this arduous but it's really exciting this is the longest super bowl i've ever seen in my life <laughs> I've been glued to CNN. Glued. It's all I watch. I have it running in the background. I I do, I'm just my... not watching it. I'm not. I'm just not glued to it. I can't do it. I have stuff to do in my life. And I, you know, like I always say to people, the big stuff will find me. So I know exactly what's going to happen when it happens because my phone's going to blow up. I always try to think of it, especially with the pandemic this year, but now this as, you know, it is just something to see that we are living through history. Yeah. Um, absolutely living through history, living through this, this bizarre, monumentally bizarre election uh, that's lasting for so long. And yeah, the mail-in votes just making this such a protracted process. But they knew that, like you said, they knew this was going to happen. And when you have Republican controlled state legislate state legislature in the states that are still recounting, they made it so that these uh, people counting polls couldn't start their work early. So yeah. that that was a that's a little sneaky part that people don't get because I certainly understand everyone who was online initially saying, "What? Is, how come early votes are taking so much longer to count? Shouldn't that seems counterintuitive?" But it, for many of these places that are still counting, you know, as of today, they couldn't even start, even though they had them all sitting there, or probably on a desk across from them, or whatever it looks like. They couldn't start counting until election day, and that's why. Well, I, I for one, am glad that it is taking some time. You know, there's a lot of thoughtfulness going into this, and any any of the uh, the the um, people that have actually been on the news in the various states, you know, b being representatives of their committees of the whole process, I think has been so impressive. They've been calm, you know. They've been saying, "Listen, we are following every single regulation that has been set out by our counties." That you know, they they. I, I think they've been meticulous and I think even more so, I mean, I think elections are always meticulous in the United States. I really do believe that. And I think more so now because they knew that president Trump was going to be contentious from beginning to end. He already set that up months ago and they, they didn't want to leave it so that uh, there was, there was any holes kind of in, in 
the narrative that they've created, well, not created, but in, in how they're counting these ballots, how they set up their election, I think they've done a really, really good job of keeping this all above board. I feel for the people counting at the, the some of yeah, the, me the too. Uh, they're tired. voting stations. They're tired. They're making no money to do this, really. It's like minimum, minimum wage. And they're a very important part of a democratic process. And now you're seeing in certain of these states where they're still counting, like especially in, you know, Michigan, Arizona, where uh, local uh, government officials there have started saying, go to these stations and start protesting. And it looks like something out of a zombie movie. You have all these people converging on these these voting stations where they're still counting votes. It's very much part of the democratic process and they're chanting outside, stop counting. But Caitlin, in some places they're saying stop counting and other places they're keep counting. Can they figure out what, what they'd like everyone to do? Do you want us to stop counting or to keep counting? So when places where he has a hope of getting ahead, they're like, oh no, keep counting those. But where Biden's gaining ground, stop counting those. How transparent and how idiotic do you think that they look to the rest of the world? Well, and the rest of the world is watching and looking. And when you think about the the finger wagging that the U.S. has done to other countries about how they handle their election and, and oh, their version of democracy and all yeah. that stuff, it is not wearing well in terms of how this election is being watched in other parts of the world. You know, I have friends who live all over the world and they said, you know, hey, can we just like get a moratorium now on the U.S.'s involvement in quote unquote democracy in Latin America or in Asia? If you're going to have people standing outside of a state of voting station where people are counting votes, chanting, stop counting. Like, we don't want to hear from you anymore. (laughs) Well, I I think no matter what happens going forward, it's been incredibly disappointing to me to see how split the country really is and how close these races are, that you have that many people that are on the brink of racism, that they don't care about any kind of social change at all, that they're really just concerned with their 401ks and how much taxes they pay and that LGBTQ community, the BIPOC community, um, you know, that, that any kind of change that helps the betterment of humanity, it's just not a priority as long as their money's okay. And that as long as they do okay. So it's, that to me is heartbreaking. And um, that's been hard to watch. I, I would have liked to have seen a landslide for Biden that people were actually so sick of the lying and and the meanness and the language that President Trump has used over the last four years and this Pandora's box of hatred that he's opened up. So that's been disappointing to see a country so split. I know they have a long way to go, but perhaps there's a bit of light on the way and, uh, you know, a new, a new vibe I also think the money thing, like when you get down to the money stuff, because I have, I actually like, I have friends who, who I think are, are long, they're longtime Republican supporters in the U.S. I have lots of yeah. them there. I think some of them probably still voted for Trump this time around. Um, and they, they did it because of financial reasons. I know. And they are in a small category though, where they, they will be taxed more heavily uh, moving forward. They can, in my opinion, they can kind of afford it, but they'd be, of course, whatever. But the majority of people who say, uh, well, I'm not voting for Biden because I don't want my taxes to go up. I was like, I don't think you understand that your taxes aren't going to go up because you'd have to be making a lot more money than I know you do <laughs> in order for that to happen. And also Biden is a very center candidate. Like he is not looking to, there are lots and lots of wealthy Democrats who are going to stay wealthy and they want to stay wealthy. So they wouldn't have signed off on a massive tax increase either. I don't think people have to worry about that. You're listening to the Jan Arden podcast. We'll be right back. We would have been remiss today to not touch upon the U S election 
And uh, it's been quite, quite the uh, epic endeavor the last three days. There's some hilarious memes that are taking over the internet. Um, people are making the funniest comments of how long the counting is taking, like in Nevada in particular. But uh, it's, yeah, we can't not talk about that today, folks. So just bear with us. But we do have a wonderful guest coming up that I'm going to tell you who they are right now. So you stay with us. Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, so thrilled that and, you joined the show. And, and in honor of uh, Sarah being on our show, we, um, Caitlin brought this up and I think it's great. We want to talk about like our first concert experiences. Enough of the election. We've given them enough time. Good luck <laughs> in the United States of America. <laughs> you know, let us know when we can go back to Palm Springs safely and, and eat things from your excellent grocery stores. Anyway, yeah. so first concert, and it has something to do with Sarah, I would imagine, Caitlin. Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember if it is, it's down to either Lilifair as my first concert or it is Janet Jackson's Velvet Rope tour and okay, so these, it's, these are very different things so they're very different but they're both phenomenal like iconic women and so I'm trying to remember now I went to I think either one would have been like probably I was in grade eight and so I went to go see Lilifair and it is one of my truly my earliest concert memories. I went with a whole group of girlfriends. We were at the amphitheater, beautiful summer night. We sat on the lawn. We listened to Sarah McLaughlin. I mean, we were just oh. all so enamored with her and her music and her energy and something great that gets touched on when you guys have your conversation in the show today is that like the feeling of being at Lil Fair, not just like the music, but like the stuff that was for sale and the the, the marketplace and just the energy of it was really unique and groundbreaking. And uh, I'm like, I've always wanted to hear more about what Sarah has to say, how that kind of came to be. I loved it. It was such a great experience. So you think it was, are you pretty sure it was a little fair? Cause Janet Jackson, how old would you have been? 12, 14, somewhere in there? Yeah. Something like that. Mitty will tell me. Oh gosh. <laughs> I you think know, I was working from home. <laughs> Were you 15? Like your mom obviously let you go do this. Yeah. I think I was like probably 14, like 13, 14, I think probably. So it would have been one of the first shows I could have gone to either one of them by myself. And it would have been a full, like someone's parents drop you off right at the entrance. You meet us right back here. We'll pick you right back up. That kind of thing. I you, could be, you, you could be expressing my exact experience. Parents yeah. dropping off. I was with my friend, Patty. Um, went to Kiss in 1976. <gasps> cool. Oh, that's, a, that's great. I was 14 years old. And we, the, the crowd was surging. It was in a building called the Corral, which was the original place before we had an NHL hockey team. They had, I forget what the Calgary, like, AAA men's team was, but they played in a building called the Corral. It probably held, I'm going to say 8,000 people, 7,500 people. And I just remember it feeling like huge, like the O2 in London. And we got dropped off and just, we got carried in through the crowd, like in a, in a wave of human bodies. And I was so little, like when I was 14, I was probably four foot 10 and 85 pounds. And anyway, <laughs> we just watched Kiss and Pat Benatar open the show. Neat. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. But it was, it was Gene Simmons tongue and spitting blood on the crowd and people are going crazy. And there was so much weed. We get to smell weed everywhere. And, and people were smoking cigarettes back in those days. They were just, oh, yeah. everyone was smoking cigarettes everywhere. 
And Patty and I were just like, I mean, I'd never been to anything in my life, but yeah, that's my first concert. What's yours, Adam? I'm going to say Raffi, but, you know, <laughs> but, but my first like, you know, rock band concert, I remember my parents took me, we saw the Beach Boys at oh, the, my God. the Beach Boys at the Grandstand at the Canadian National Exhibition. And that was, I'm like, I love the Beach Boys. As a kid, I love the Beach yeah. Boys. I still like the Beach Boys. They're great. So that was like, uh-huh. that was like, I'm pretty sure the Beach Boys was my first big show. And I remember some early concerts. Um, I, I saw Boy George, like Culture Club Boy George at mm-hmm. um, Maple Leaf Gardens. I remember seeing Cyndi Lauper. That was really cool. Oh, great yeah. ones. So many good, like early concerts, I think really form so much of your like taste in music and, you know, also your love of live music. I mean, I miss nothing more right now. Like if top to like probably top of my list up there, obviously with travel, but would be going to shows. I miss seeing so many great artists that like I just grew up obsessing over. Well, you're preaching to somebody who sadly misses all of that stuff, you know, on a, on a personal level, it's, it's been profoundly sad, but I also don't want to be a dork. You know, every, everyone's missed out on things and it's certainly, Mm -hmm. I would never just say, Oh, woe is me. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's people that are, are just in such crap. I mean, kids having their kids go to school and stuff like that. You wait till you have kids, Caitlin, (laughs) you're going to have a person coming into the world, a a coronial. I'm so excited to see what, like what his taste in music will be, you know, because Cause I grew up like, you know, with, I feel like, listen, I loved Bruce Springsteen. Like my parents said, one of the first words I ever said was born. Cause I would run around the house saying born in the USA. And I just wanted to hear born in the USA all the time. I love Bruce Springsteen so much that I went to go see him at giant stadium in New Jersey Ooh, wow. when he was touring there. And it was just the coolest experience somehow just from going on Ticketmaster, got fourth row floor and took it as like an <sighs> omen that I had to go see Bruce. So yeah, like him, Annie Lennox, like, man, I loved Annie Lennox and the Eurythmics from the time I was tiny, like teeny tiny. So I think, you know, that'll be something really cool about becoming a parent is like seeing your kids taste and things. Cause I don't know that it was formed by my mom and dad. I I feel like I kind of came out with my own thoughts. My girls don't like my taste in music at all. (laughs) I've tried to impart, you know, my favorite band of all time is the Grateful Dead. They won't have any of it. I can see that though, like, the, with the, the Grateful Dead probably wasn't something you liked when you were younger. Like what young kid is like, you know what I need is an eight minute jam. Like, <laughs> eight, that's it. 30 minute jam. <laughs> exactly. But I think the first cool band, like cool, I'm doing air quotes. The first cool band that I got into when I was like mm, 14 or 15 was Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That just changed everything for me. But I try to play them. Floyd and Zeppelin, they sort of like the Beatles, but like it's all Dua Lipa and Taylor Swift. And that's great, too. But they won't have any of my, you know, I put on trucking and that's it. They don't want it. I got lucky. My dad worked for a music distributor. So we got a bunch of free CDs when I was growing up. And also a lot of artists would come through their music distribution place and they would do autographs, blah, blah, blah. He got me like a signed autograph of like Mariah Carey poster because I just like love Mariah Carey. And I, Jan, have been looking for this for as long as I can recall. I had Living Under June and I just friggin' loved it. And you <laughs> signed the front of the CD for me. And I've been looking for it ever since we started doing the, the podcast together like years ago. And I've been digging through my mom's house anytime I go back I'm there. Gonna I'm going like, to sign this- you another one. I'm going to get you another one. 
I want the OG because it was so cool to me. And I thought the, the fo- like the photography on the front was so like moody and like 90s at the time. And I just loved it. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> well, we are going to be back with the one, the only Sarah McLaughlin. And uh, we're all so excited. We always, you know, we're all like giddy with excitement. You're listening to the Jan Arden podcast. I'm here with Adam and Caitlin. Come back and hear our conversation with Sarah McLaughlin. As promised, as advertised for the last 48 hard hours, Sarah McLaughlin is with us. She's in her home in Vancouver. Her kids are physically going to a school. So that's gotta be a bit nerve wracking. Welcome Sarah, insert applause here, Adam. Thanks for doing this. I know we all get inundated with these virtual things. Oh, well, I adore you, Jan, so it's easy. I'm, I'm happy to be here. First of all, I just want to say that you are in such effing good shape. Like, everyone commented, and everyone that I talked to, Sam Feldman, of course, who you work with on a regular basis, um, everyone talks about just how strong you are and, like, how fit you are. And yeah. you did recently turn, like, 50. 52. And, I'm yeah, 50. Well, we will, well, we're going 52. We're going to go 50. But anyways, you really are. What do you do, Sarah? Like you, I know I see you waterboarding, not waterboarding. That would be (laughs) (laughs) no, not waterboarding. That's a bit different than this thing. (laughs) Paddleboarding. Paddleboarding, surfing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was in uh, Tofino for uh, about five months during COVID and I surfed about three hours every day. Um, (sighs) It was so good for upper body, but no cardio there really. So, um, but I had a, um, I still work out twice a day, twice a week with my trainer. Um, I just feel like, you know, I, as we're getting older, it's really important to just keep strong, keep our muscles strong, keep flexible, keep, keep moving. And I, I love hiking. So I spend a lot of time in the woods. It's actually where I write most of my your, stuff. Your Instagram is amazing. The outdoor stuff. Um, well, we live your, in the most beautiful pla- place. I know, <laughs> and, and your place in Tofino, you you bought that years ago. I think you were way ahead of the curve as far as the hidden secret of Tofino. That's getting a little more out of the bag now. Well, especially because nobody in in BC could go anywhere this summer. All the yeah. people that usually leave ended up um, staying home, and so I, I mean, I have a lot of dear friends who live there full time and have businesses there, and they were very afraid of what was going to happen. And I kept saying, you know what? here Kelowna Whistler Squamish like everybody's going to flock here because it's 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 all about the outdoors and people that that would have put that on the back burner decided this is where we're going to go it was crazy it was so busy and by some miracle there were no cases of COVID up until like a month ago yeah and perhaps if anybody even felt a sniffle they probably got in their car and drove the H out of there yeah for fear of getting tarred and feathered (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's uh, it, but it is. It's a beautiful place, and just the fact that anyone in Canada says they are surfing three hours a day seems ludicrous to me. But yes, people listening to this outside of our country, uh, there is surfing on the west coast, and Sarah McLaughlin does it. Anyway, you look amazing. You guest starred on our Jan show this season. It was an absolute highlight for every single crew member, every single person talked about how unbelievably approachable, how friendly, how, how affable. That's a pretty nice trail to leave behind you, Sarah. That's lovely. And, and a lot of people I think who are famous people can be a-holes and you are a really 
truly an altruistic kind person. Thank you. Well, I just, every, everybody was so excited. Like people were genuinely so nervous that you were going to be there. Uh, you know, you'd walk out of a room and then everyone would kind of fall apart. Anyway, the reason that I started off talking about your incredible strength, this is the funny part, folks. Yes, if you've seen the show, this is a spoiler coming up. Sarah McLaughlin and I fight over her lucky scrunchie. You're going to have to watch the show to find out. If I was to actually fight you, McLaughlin, at any time, I would have my butt kicked. I would, I would, yeah. And the fact that it kind of made it look like I sort of won is the magic of television. But you were such a good sport. Did you have fun doing the show? I had so much fun. And I mean, it, it's so funny for me to do, uh, to act <laughs> in parentheses. But um, you're good. Oh, well, I don't know about that. But it was, it was, you know, you made it so much fun. And I mean, I had such a hard time keeping a straight face <laughs> because it is, I, I love making people laugh almost as much as I love making them cry. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it, it's so joyful for me on stage when I actually say something that's that people laugh at, like, wow, I'm funny. I've seen you in concert many times and you're very funny. You tell great stories. And I think that's why your concerts are, are really are so special is that pendulum that swings mm -hmm. from having a gut laugh and then being, being gutted. Pulled, well, and then being pulled into this world of whimsy, of loss, of, you know, thinking about things that you had and don't have anymore. And that's, your shows are spectacular. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm, we're all multifaceted, you know, we're, we're not two dimensional individuals. Mm. I think, you know, I, and I, I don't know how to edit myself, which is both a blessing and a curse. Um, so I just, you know, I am who I am parts and all um for lack of <laughs> what what do you what do you attribute being in this industry for 30 plus years you and i have both heard dozens of names as we have rolled along around the globe of people that were doing so well people that were at the top of their game that you and i have literally not heard of in a decade and i'm sure you find yourself going whatever happened to whatever happened to whatever and here you are bigger than better than ever really on the top of your game, how, what do you attribute that to? And, and I, I don't tell me that part of it doesn't have to do with being a decent bloody person and being kind to the people around you. Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think, well, I, I don't know how to answer any of that subjectively or objectively. Um, I think I've been incredibly lucky that I get to do this for so long. I think because what I do um, is, and I hate to use the word authentic, but it's like, it, 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 it comes is from, though. It, it is, it is. And I think people crave that. They need that and they want that connection. And I think that's one of the most beautiful gifts music has to give us is that, that sense of, of connectivity, especially when you're playing and you're connecting with an audience and you get to be something, part of something that's bigger than yourself. It's like the closest thing I know to church. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, as I said, I just, I feel incredibly grateful that after all these years, I'm still able to do it. I mean, obviously it's the, the, <clears throat> the number of audience members that come has, you know, slowly dwindled a little bit, but I have a, a pretty great core fan base that, you know, is graying alongside of me. <laughs> um, I feel like you are singing better than you ever have. Like, uh, and, and maybe it's just, the mechanics of it, but I think you sing and you've always been a brilliant vocalist, 
but honest to God, Sarah, you sing better now to me, like your, your, the tone of your voice, as we get older, we kind of, our voice darkens a bit and we get a little richer, but man alive, it's sensual and beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I feel like it's getting stronger and I think it's, you know, it's a muscle that gets worked and I take really good care of it. I take really good care of myself. I eat really well. I don't smoke. I hardly ever drink. Um, that you, know, I, you I know. Myself. I enjoy myself. I enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I, I feel like it's, it's something worth taking care of. Did you guys used to party hard on the bus? Oh God. Yeah. Okay. My so it wasn't, it wasn't just us, right? A blur. <laughs> there was a lot of scotch consumed in my twenties. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I, I always wonder how we staggered out there. I guess hangovers just get worse as you get older. We were young. I know. I would, I'm, I'm from the Maritimes. I could drink most people under the table and be fine <laughs> the next day. Now I have a glass and a half of wine and I'm wrecked <laughs> the next 24 hours. It's, it's so, it is pathetic. Um, I'm always fascinated by, you know, you know, I'm sure your, your friends did the same thing. Oh, can we go on the bus? And you're like, uh, okay, there's nothing on there. Oh, but I get the, it's so glamorous. Yes. I've had my friends come on, especially with their little kids. And I'm like, I'll let them, you know, climb on the bunks and okay. What bunk would you pick if you were going to sleep here? It's like, this is, you know, serious glamping for them. The idea that, you know, this is how you could travel. You could like wake up in the next city. I mean, it's all very romantic and, uh, and, and exciting when, <clears throat> when you don't have to do it for two years straight. <laughs> Because yeah. as you well know, it, it, you know, it beats the hell out of digging ditches. Yeah, for sure. Yep. But it is, you know, it, it does, uh, it does take its toll on you when you're out for a really long time because it you know, really does this little microcosm and friends are getting married and having babies and parents are dying and people are getting married, divorced, and you're just still going along on your little trajectory. And it's, it's isolating in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you have your, your core, your band and crew kind of becomes your family, which is wonderful. Um, but you know, it is, it, it's, it's a, it's kind of, it does get more and more challenging the older I get to be out for any great period of time. Well, we're going to get you a helicopter. We're talking to Sarah McLaughlin. You're listening to the Jan Arden podcast, and we are going to be right back with Sarah. I will remember you. back you're listening to the Jan Arden podcast I'm here with probably one of the best singer-songwriters this country has produced in I don't know 178 years has, the, has Canada been a country for 178 years Sarah McLaughlin is with us today she's a badass uh don't fight with her don't ever get in a brawl with her don't ever steal her lucky scrunchie um, on the break, she said, yeah, after this, I'm just going to go swim in the lake. I want everyone to be reminded that this is the second week of November and, or we're going into it. We're just finishing up the first week and Sarah McLaughlin is going to jump into a frozen lake because it's invigorating. This is, this is so Canadian, Sarah McLaughlin. I just started doing this. It's really fun. I had no idea that I was going to enjoy it so much, but, uh, what do you um, wear? <clears throat> Um, what are you in a bathing suit like bought, uh, shorts 
mostly it's just whatever I happen to have underneath. And I, I bring a towel with me and then just I wear a pair, you know, take the ginch off and underneath the towel and put your shorts back on and go back down. Uh, okay. You got to get up to the lake, which is a hike up. So it's your quite, your body's warmed up by the time you get up there. Like this is why, place. this is why Sarah looks like Sarah and I look like me. I will be wandering to the fridge to get an apple, which is equally as taxing. But let's think about that choice. apple. That is a healthy choice. Thank you. Um, what is your favorite part of this industry? And I get asked this, and I'm always curious what other artists say. The performing part, the writing part, the traveling part, the, the I guess, the perks of fame part. What, what, are what those? keeps you go? Well, you know, restaurant table or, you know, kind of getting ahead in the queue. There's a lot of perks that come along that you don't ask for, but people give you that you're like, I really could have used your help 35 years ago. Where were you then Mm -hmm. to give, to send me a box of sneakers or, you know, so what, what keeps you interested in this? Playing live for sure. Um, Well, just, and beyond that, the, the simple pleasure of, opening my mouth and having sounds come out that make me feel really good. Um, I love to sing. I love to play. I love the, the feeling of peacefulness and release that comes with it. It's like medicine to me to be able to go to the piano, sit down and just start playing and singing. And it's like this instant, uh, instant release. This, it, 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 that's the best way to describe it. And it's just, it's, it's kind of, to share that feels so joyous and peaceful. It's like, oh, this is where I get to live my purpose. So I, I wait, I look forward to those moments when <clears throat> it's not just about the audience. As I said, I, I get almost as much pleasure doing it by myself, but yeah. um, getting to share that is magic. I think, and, and this is no secret, I think you were one of the most instrumental singer-songwriters, instrumental women, probably in the music business of the last 25 years. And I say this because there's not a person on this planet that doesn't recognize Lilith Fair. They don't, they, everyone recognizes what that was, the celebration of women together. It was almost, uh, you were so far ahead of the curve as far as that movement for women to give them a platform, to give them a place to play in front of massive crowds, that let's face it, the music industry can be, feel very dominated by men. You were young when you went down this path with Lilith Fair. And the lasting legacy of what you did for dozens and dozens of careers, I know because I saw some of my friends on your stages that went on to do things that were given that opportunity at Lilith Fair. How do you, how do you look back at that time in your life? Oh, with a lot of gratitude and, and really amazing memories. And, and, you know, I just, uh, I was, I was really young and didn't even know, didn't know what I was stepping into. You know, I just thought, you know, there's so many amazing women making music right now and having success. Why are none of them represented in all these summer touring festivals? Well, let's just do it ourselves. So a big part, yes, I had the idea, but a big part of the success was the fact that everybody also wanted this. These other female artists wanted this. They wanted the connection. They wanted to create the community. And we all did it together. We all built it together. And that's why it worked. 
I think. Um, and because music, I, I think people often underestimate music listeners, music lovers, and say, oh, well, these people aren't going to come. Um, you're only, you only have this narrow audience. I listen to everything. And I assume that I'm kind of, you know, not that abnormal in, the, in my musical tastes. And I talk to so many other people. And they're like, oh, yeah, you should, you should see my record collection. Well, I'm aging myself. Um, <clears throat> although that's now coming back. But, um, <laughs> you know, we all have diverse tastes in music. We do. And I think, you know, getting to, getting to try and represent a little bit of that uh, at Lilith and, and to disprove, you know, those old male attitudes in the music business that women couldn't play back to back on the radio, that women couldn't play together on the same stage. People wouldn't listen. It's like, well, when I was told that, I was like, well, that's asinine. Like what rock? They, 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 they wouldn't listen because it was uh, all female voices and female yeah, music. All female voices. Yes. That, but that it was, was rock and roll. It was jazz. It was ethereal. Um, it was, it was operatic. It was uh, acid you know, rock. It was like you saw every genre of music in mm -hmm. an afternoon. And it was such a, the village, like I went to see the shows probably, I'm going to say three or four times, five times, because I was so inspired by it. And the, all the things you guys introduced that I think were so innovative and the first of its kind people selling things people sponsoring the show these these commercial villages where people could literally walk around and support small vendors support it wasn't just music artists it was it was artisans and that was new like you, you you'd go on the grounds at Lilith and it was a massive moving feast yeah yeah it was the idea of you know you can you can go and get your, 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 your pretty jewelry, you can get your face painted, you can get the, you know, the sort of the festival thing, but you can also be educated. There was nonprofits there. There was um, like, we got to give a lot of money away to uh, local and national charities. And we also got to give the opportunity to have um, a lot of nonprofits table so that they could, um, you know, um, educate people who were there. And it's all part of the, you know, this holistic thing about what women can be and achieve and and um when we work together and you know and just for this this greater good that we can do so much when we band together and make a real difference in the world in all sorts of facets you know we can do the music thing we can make people feel good we can make them cry we can make them feel joyous we can bring them closer to their emotional worlds we can also educate them we can also you know in the sense of like oh i might i might not have been aware of this particular product and this this company who's also giving a lot of money to charity so it's just a sort of a, a you know conscious consumer constant consumership as well you you wore a lot of hats like not only were you performing night after night mm. with this giant three ring fantastic happening um but you you were responsible for putting a lot of the the different artists together. To me, one of the most exciting parts of what you did, Sarah, was the collaborations. And I think everyone out in the crowd was so dazzled by seeing women work together that would never, ever have crossed each other's paths. Mm -hmm. Is there recordings? Is, is there, and I know there was lots of recordings done of Lilith Fair, but is there any hidden things that you've ever pondered of putting out there's got to be oh there must be i think there's t there's tons and tons and tons of tapes 
Um, we recorded everything all the time. Oop, Poppy. Quiet. Sorry, I thought that was my last ovary dropping. <laughs> that was my last egg. I guess ovaries don't drop, do they? It's the eggs. The ovaries stay in place. They hopefully stay in place, yeah. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, but it just but just the collaborations. I, oh, I, yeah. I have been, I keep waiting for you to make an announcement on social media. We have a four album set of Lilith Fair collaborations <laughs> coming your way. Sarah, I'm telling you right now, I, I would be the first in line. Awesome. And that's why I wanted to ask you, because someone said, ask Sarah if there's like recordings, because I know uh, Joni Mitchell, you probably know this because of the people you work with, uh, has just come out with all these gems that she had, I guess, from Laurel Canyon. But it's a, it's a four yeah. or six CD album set of unreleased material. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, as I said, we recorded everything. Um, I can't speak to the quality of it without listening to it. But um, yeah, there's there's a ton of material there. And it, it was so incredible. Do I have fun. to phone Sam Feldman? Do I have to phone? Who do I have to? Who do I have to sleep with? <laughs> oh, well, let me just put that on the great long list. <laughs> Not of who you have to sleep with, but no. Oh, OK. Oh, damn. <laughs> Uh, um, Listen, um, but anyway, just I'm just throwing that out there because I, I think it would be mag magnificent. I mean, you've done so much stuff since then. The music school, you've had, you know, th thousands of kids go through there with a renewed sense of their uh, love of music. I've done, you know, I've been involved a little bit in some of the fundraising you've done over the years, but wow, that was magic. And I'm wondering if, if Lilith had anything to do with the, you starting that. Absolutely. It was paramount because I put the money I made from Lilith into my foundation. And because I just, I, I, I loved um, the feeling of giving, like every day I got to give a dollar for every ticket sale to a local women's shelter, which on some days was that is, dollars. You know? so that is phenomenal. Good. So that feeling of giving, I just wanted, I wanted to for the Lilith legacy to continue somehow. So really that's, that's how the school 18 years in now is still thriving and doing so well because- well, you are you are such a force to be reckoned with and i think one of the nicest things to watch you over these three decades three and a half i mean let's face it sarah 80s right I know. Um, is your your sense of self your authenticity i think you're you're such a great representative of canada you you can laugh at yourself which is such a gift and I have people come up to me and I mean this so earnestly. What is Sarah like? Oh my God, have you met Sarah? Please, if you ever see her, tell her. Megan says, and, and that to me says so much because it's assumptive that, you know, they think we're pals. And I, I feel like we are friends, certainly after all these years, but just that people, they don't ask shite about me. What's Sarah McLaughlin? Anyway, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. And thanks for taking time. Please stay oh, safe out there. Thank you. Absolutely. And, well. and we'll cross paths again. You've been listening to the phenomenal Sarah McLaughlin, actor, philanthropist, business mogul, singer, songwriter, and uh, crocheter. No, I don't know if she crochets. No, I don't um, <laughs> thanks to all our listeners. Uh, come and see us again here at the Jan Arden Podcast. We do. do. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.